Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here with us today at Cross Point Church. Uh, the kids can be dismissed at this time to go to CP Kids. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Today, uh, for those of you uh, who've been with us the last few weeks, we've been in a series called I'm a Messenger. And today, I'm going to wrap that series up as we um, sort of conclude what it means to be God's messenger in the world and, and why we should be in the world sharing the message of good news that God has given to us. Um, and then next week, we're going to start, if you remember, uh, two or three weeks ago, I had asked for your feedback and um, included in, your, in the programs a little sheet that had uh, just a question for you. And the question was something like, uh, what is it that you would like to hear a sermon about in the coming weeks? And I gave some suggestions or ideas of things we could talk about, and I'm really thankful for your feedback. We got close to 30, 30 of those cards back, and um, I just kind of went through those and <clears throat> took the most popular responses, and we're going to preach on those in the coming weeks. So for the next two weeks after today, we're going to focus on what the Bible says about politics. And we're going to talk about this year's election and how we as disciples of Jesus should approach, according to God's word, this year's election. And so the next two weeks we'll talk about that and then you're going to vote after the head second Sunday. And that's coming up real quick. And then we're going to talk about some other things after that. And I'm really excited about uh, the next those, those uh, four, the next four or five weeks after today as we, as we preach on some unique subjects. But today we're going to focus on uh, what it means to be a messenger of God, just like we have been the last um, four or five weeks. I want to start by asking you a question this morning. Have you ever found something that was unexpected? You, you, you found something that was unexpected that changed your direction in life, changed your fortune, something like that, something really valuable. And it was, it was almost too good to be true. And you found this thing, and it was so good that you had to tell other people about it. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I, I discovered a restaurant in, in the West. In fact, it's, it's right on 84th Street and Greenfield Avenue, really close to where we are right now. I discovered this restaurant called Big Deal Burgers. Never heard of it before. It, you know, nobody I knew had been there, but I... I had been driving past it for for weeks and weeks, and I decided to go check this place out, <clears throat> and their food was great. And then shortly after I started visiting this establishment, they posted this sign that said 99-cent breakfast. And I thought, 99-cent breakfast? What is that? Like a pancake? You know, it's just too good to be true. So I went in uh, one morning before work, and for 99 cents, I got two eggs— uh, my choice of meat and toast for 99 cents. Can you believe that? It was like amazing. Too good to be true. This, this treasure that I had discovered. It, it, so I started telling people about it. And they're like, yeah, whatever. You know, and then my friends started going. And then uh, we started having elder meetings at Big Deal Burgers, you know. And, and we were sitting down at like 6 in the morning with all of us having our 99-cent breakfast, uh, you know, week after week. It was just wonderful until... You know, all these people started hearing about it and coming in, and after about three months, they took it away. Do you know why? Because uh, all kinds of people heard about it, and they started losing money like crazy. Because you can't make money on a 99-cent breakfast, one that's legit. You just can't. And so, 
And, and here's why I tell you that story, because as Americans in particular, and as consumers, when we find something that, that is like that good and too good to be true, we tend not to tell other people about it. If it's really good, you know why? Because when, when too many people find out about it, it ruins it. You know what I'm talking about? It, it just gets ruined. It gets, you know, too many people find out and, and things change and now everyone's here and oh, now they raise the prices and all that kind of stuff. And so when we find something valuable, really valuable that was unexpected, we tend to want to keep it to ourselves because we're afraid if we tell other people about it, we might lose it. Or, or whatever it is. We, that's just kind of how we treat it. But what are we going to do when the thing we found, that treasure we found, can save people's lives? What will we do then? And the big idea that I want to share with you this morning as we close this series is this. The longer we follow Jesus, the easier it is for us to forget about the people that we've left behind. I'm convinced that that's true. The longer we follow Jesus, the easier it, it, the easier it becomes for us to forget about the people we've left behind. And today I want to share with you a passage from the Old Testament that maybe many of you have never heard before. It's not, a, it's not a passage that's directly linked to the gospel or the person or work of Jesus. But because of who Jesus is and what he said, we know that the entire Old Testament is about Jesus. The entire Old Testament Every book, every, every narrative that we have in some way points to the coming of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. So as we look at this very interesting narrative from the Old Testament, I'd like you to think today about what God is saying to you as a messenger and as someone who's been changed by the gospel of Jesus. Because that's what this is about. That's what it's about every week. And so we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 7. If you have a Bible, please start, begin turning to 2 Kings chapter 7. And as you make your way there, I'd like to just tell you what's going on as we get to uh, 2 Kings chapter 7. Because the book of 2 Kings is a historical book. And it tells us about the history of God's people and, their <clears throat> and God's work for his people. And this is what is going on. And, and this, the passage we're looking at today, it took place around 850 BC. And in 930 BC, about 80 years prior to this, Israel, which is God's people, Israel had divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel, and the capital of Israel was Samaria. The southern kingdom is Judah, their capital is Jerusalem. And what's happened is, some time ago, the entire army of Syria, or Aram, which was an ancient world power, had besieged the city of Samaria to the north. What does that mean? What is a siege? Well, in this case, Syria has surrounded the entire... Uh, Syria, which is the enemy, has surrounded the entire city of Samaria. From, and they're out from a distance. They're a little bit of a journey away from the city gates, but they're far enough where they can cut off anyone coming in and anyone going out. Nobody can enter S Samaria. Nobody can leave Samaria. Because the army, the Syrian army, had cut everything off. And because this is a city in the desert, it's, this is a, a, an urban environment in the desert, lots of people living in a relatively small area, 
They are completely dependent on importing food and supplies. And Syria has cut that off. They've cut off all the imports and exports, so there's no food going into Samaria for quite a long time, and it's produced a famine. And things are pretty desperate. We're told in 2 Kings chapter 6 that the siege lasted so long that the Samaritans ran out of food. Things got so bad, in fact, that people were selling donkey heads as food, which Israelites, Jews, were not allowed to eat that. It was unclean, but they were eating it. Donkey heads were being sold at a premium. And not only donkey heads, but this, this is, excuse me here, but bird poop was being collected and sold as food at a high price because things were so bad. And, and on top of that, it wasn't just those things. The people of the city of Samaria had resorted to cannibalism. That's how bad it was. That's how bad the famine was. There was no food. People are starving and, and they're extremely desperate. Things are really bad and there's no end in sight. And that uh, brings us to our text this morning, which comes on the heels of something that the prophet Elisha had said. He promised that God was going to change. Elisha had promised the king that God was going to change their situation. The king doesn't believe him. And then we read in Second Kings Chapter 7, verse 3. Why don't you follow along with me? 2 Kings 7, verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So let's take a, let's just pause there. Here are our four men, they're lepers. They have to live outside the city because they're unclean, they're contagious. They also had to stay near the city gates so that they could beg for food. So if you can imagine just how bad it is for the people in the city of Samaria, think about how bad it is for these four men who are stuck outside the city gates. Nobody's giving, giving anything to beggars because there's nothing to give. So it was really bad. Their three options are, we sit here and do nothing, and we will die. Or, option B, we, uh, we go into the city and look for food, but we'll probably die because we have no money to buy a donkey head or bird poop. And option C is, we go to the camp of the Syrians, the enemy, and, and we hope that they have mercy on us. But they might kill us. Those are the three options. So we have four we have four men here with absolutely nothing to lose. And we're going to pick the story up now. Beginning in verse 5. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they found, excuse me. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. Now, now here is where the story gets pretty interesting. These four men, these lepers, they come to the edge of the Syrian camp and realize that no single person is there, but all of their stuff is there. 
There are, uh, the fires are still burning. The goats and the sheep and the donkeys and the horses are there. The, there's food and wine there. There's weapons, everything else, clothing that the Syrians left behind. Because the Syrian army was convinced that some other armies had formed some secret alliance with the Israelites and were preparing for a surprise attack or something like that. And they were so convinced of this, they had heard some noise or something, and, and God had, had moved in some kind of way so that they fled and ran for their lives. And they were in such a hurry that they leave everything behind. They didn't take time to pack or bring anything with them. In fact, we find out a bit later that they even left behind a trail of clothing and equipment for miles. And clothing back then was very expensive. Everything was handmade. So they just left. They were so terrified that they left everything behind. And these four lepers, they come over the ridge and they see all this stuff. And there's no one there to stop them from taking whatever they want to. And so they do what you and I would do. They say, wow, this is amazing. Look at all this food. Look at all this stuff. We have to tell everyone about this. That's not actually what they did. What they actually said was probably something like, look at all this stuff. Should we tell the rest of our people about it? Nah, they have donkey heads and bird poop. They're fine. So here's what happens in the next verse, the next passage. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, They went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. So these guys are are having the time of their lives, right? They're they're eating, they're drinking, they're taking every... I mean, they wouldn't have imagined that this could happen. Here they are coming to the camp thinking... We might die, or we're either going to die, or they're just going to have mercy on us and maybe throw us, throw us a bone, give us some food, enough to get us by for a little while. We don't know. And instead, they have all of this stuff at their disposal. They're eating and drinking, taking every valuable thing they can get their hands on. They're hiding it for later, and this goes on for a while until something happens. And they realize what you were probably already thinking. You didn't want the story to end like this, right? With these guys just going back time and time again, just storing up more and more and more and digging more holes and eating and drinking and going back and eating and drinking. You didn't really want the story to end that way. You probably were thinking, what's wrong with these guys? They have a message that could save thousands of lives. They're eating and drinking, enjoying themselves while everyone else back in the city is starving, right? And you probably were thinking, that's not right. So here's what actually happened. After, after they go back for a couple trips, here's what happens. Let's pick the story up in verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Now think about it. These four guys could have just kept going back and gathering more and more stuff and keeping it to themselves. They could have spent hours and maybe maybe even days just accumulating and gathering and feeding and filling themselves up. And the story could have ended there, but it doesn't. As soon as they come to their senses and they realize that this is a day of good news, 
They go back and tell the royal palace what they found. And not long after that, the city is saved. And everyone has access to food. And the food is cheap. The whole economy is turned around within a matter of days. And I'm not going to read you the rest of the story, but that's what happens. It's, a, it's an amazing act of God. And God used these four lepers, these outsiders, to bring that good news back into the city. Now, have you ever found yourself at a place in life where you had nothing to lose? Have you ever felt a sense of desperation? Maybe through some series of events or circumstances, you found yourself stuck in life with no good options. For some people, this causes them to take a huge risk on God. Some people will pray for the first time they can remember when they get into that kind of trouble. And their desperation, they throw themselves on the mercies of God. They may have had doubts. They probably had a lot of questions. They knew there was a lot about God and maybe a lot about the Bible and about Jesus that they didn't know. But what they did know was that their life was a mess. They weren't happy. They weren't in control and something had to change. And in that moment, they surrendered to God and God answered them. He answered them. He showed up. He did something in their life that they can't even explain. But it changed the direction of their life. God changed their heart. And they believed. And their life was never the same. Do you know anyone like that? Are you a person who has a story like that? I am. That's exactly how I encountered God. And then, and then, once they woke up to God... Their life began to change. They started learning and growing and serving and building relationships with other people who believed in God, other people who were following Jesus. They joined a local church. They began experiencing the the love and support and accountability and protection that a local church gives to people. They got baptized. Maybe they joined a small group. They started serving in some way. They started learning so much about God and what he's really like. Not, Not how they want him to be, but the way he truly is. And it was liberating. They're just eating it up, growing in their faith, being built up, experiencing, you know, the joy of God, fellowship, love, change. But then something happened and they came to their senses. They realized, wait a minute, my life has changed in a lot of great ways, but something else has changed too. I don't have any Unbelieving friends. I don't really know any people anymore. I have relationships with people who aren't Christians. I've forgotten about the people I left behind. And I want to ask you this morning, did you leave anyone behind? Because the longer you follow Jesus, the harder it is to go back. The, hard, the easier it is to forget about the people we've left behind. It doesn't get easier to remember them. What, get, what gets easier is to get comfortable and hide our treasure. As a pastor, as a pastor of a local church, it would be easy for me to surround myself with people who want to follow Jesus all the time. 
It'd be so easy for me to do that. Why not just spend every opportunity we have to invite other Christians into our home and serve them? Why not just build relationships with all the people who we share the most in common with? Why not just invest into people who want what I want, which is a deeper relationship with Jesus? That makes sense, right? I mean, it might be kind of dangerous to go back into the world and invest in worldly people so that they can see and hear the gospel. What if, what if they influence me in a bad way? What if they reject me? What if I invest into them and they never change? I, I'd better just stay safe. But here's the thing. I don't think that as your pastor, you want me to do that. I don't think you want me to live that way, do you? I hope you don't. Because it would be easy for me to spend 60 or 70 hours a week just focusing on Christians and developing programs and leading Bible studies and teaching classes and preaching better sermons and building small groups, developing leaders, recruiting volunteers, having Christians over to our house for dinner, and all kinds of other things pastors do. But I can't do that anymore. Because about seven years ago, my wife and I looked around at all of our friends and all of our relationships, and we realized we were living in isolation from the world. (laughs) We were. And what's worse, we had developed a kind of indifference to the world. And if you were here last week, when we read John 3.16, and we dove into that passage we know that God is not indifferent to his world. We know this. He is not indifferent to sinners. In my quiet time recently, I was reading Romans chapter 5, which tells us that at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, which was us. He died for sinners. The righteous for the unrighteous. God is not indifferent to sinners. He is, his desire is for all people to repent and trust in his son Jesus. And my wife and I, when we looked at our life seven years ago, we realized we were not doing right. We had left a lot of people behind, including our neighbors, the families at our kids' school, old friends from high school and college. We were so busy. Our calendar was so full of events and activities and classes and meals and time spent with other Christians that we simply didn't have room in our lives to build relationships with people in the world. And something had to change. And we had to make that change. And we did. And now we both have ongoing friendships, meaningful relationships with people who are far from God. And it's not that we have to do that. It's that we get to join God in what he is doing to draw those people into his joyful presence for eternal life. We believe God loves those people, that he is pursuing some of those people. He's going to call them out of darkness into his light through the message of the gospel. We believe there is nobody outside of God's reach. And we need to guard and protect our lives and guard and protect our schedules so that we can have those friendships and have those relationships because that's how God rescues people today. It's very often, more often than not, through relationships where the preaching of the gospel has a context, where there's trust And vulnerability, where someone can see the way you live your life and then you share the message of Christ and God turns the light on. 
I mean, my job as a pastor is to strengthen and establish this church, but that's not my life calling. That's not my life calling. My calling is to make disciples of Jesus. And that's your calling too. We're, we're all messengers. And part, part of that for me is to build up the body of Christ and for you too. And part of that is to live with gospel intentionality in the world. In the world. If my life calling was to build up Christians, I would not be a soccer coach for my city soccer club. I would not be a volunteer in my community. I would not be a chaplain for the West Dallas Police Department. Vicki and I would not host our neighborhood block party. We would not drive two cars to Awana every week because we bring so many unchurched kids to Awana that they don't all fit in our suburban. And plus, we're bringing a lot of kids of our own, of course. But we have to drive two cars. If I worked, if I worked 60 to 70 hours a week as a pastor... Just pouring into Christians, I would not have time to build relationships with people who are far from God. And quite frankly, if you're working 60 to 70 hours a week, you probably won't either. Especially if you have young kids. It's just difficult. That has to be a priority for us. It has to be a priority, something we build into our lives. And I want to, I mean, just admit it, admit it. You don't want me to just focus on you with every hour that I have. You don't. You don't want that. You don't want a pastor who's indifferent to the world. You want a pastor who's following Jesus by building relationships with all kinds of people, including people who right now are enemies of God because that's what we were. That's what we were when God called us. We were his enemies. And how could I ask you to live like that if I wasn't doing it first? How could I? So I want to ask you today, will we go back? Will we leave the comfort of our church sometimes and the comfort of our home to give people the message that can change their lives, to build relationships, to be available to people, to be a good neighbor, to be a faithful friend? to talk to people, to introduce, to introduce God into the conversation. Who's the next person that you're going to have lunch or coffee with? Who's the next person you have over for dinner? Who's the next person you invite to time out? Who's the next person you invite to Awana or to Crosspoint? Who's the next person you give a gift to? I want to ask you that this morning. I mean, <laughs> is there anyone in your life who you that isn't a Christian, that you could say, I could invite them. I could give a gift to them. I could encourage them. I could start a conversation with them. All I'm asking you to do this morning is to take inventory of your life. Do you have ongoing, an ongoing friendship with someone who is not a follower of Jesus? Someone you're investing in, someone you're praying for. Someone who would say about you, I, I know that they are my friend and I know that, they're follow, that they call themselves a follower of Jesus or a disciple and that's probably the only person I know who's living their life that way. Is there anyone in your life that could say that about you? In 1 John chapter 4, last week the Cubbies and the Sparkies came up here and they introduced the message and the Cubbies started off by reciting 
a very powerful verse in the New Testament, 1 John 4.10. And I want to read it for you this morning in its entirety. In 1 John 4, verses, uh, in 1 John 4 beginning in verse 9, this is what it says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I was thinking this last week, I wonder what the angels thought when they first heard that God was going to send Jesus into the world. You know, we're told in the New Testament on multiple occasions that the angels, they're watching God and they're watching God's activity in the world with wonder and amazement. Like, what is he doing? What's he going to do next? They're in awe. They see what God is doing in the universe and they stand in awe of him. They are just amazed and sometimes maybe even perplexed at God's wisdom and how it's all coming together. They watch God work through suffering. And they watch God work through disaster and even tragedy. They watch God take sinners and turn them into saints, into worshipers. People who worship the God the angels do, the Christ that the angels do. And I wonder when they first, if when they first heard that God was going to send Jesus into the world, if they were talking amongst themselves and thinking, did you hear what God's going to, did you hear what the Father's going to do? He's sending Jesus to the world. What? The world? Why would he send him there? The world is full of hatred and violence and sinful people. There's bad people everywhere. No one trusts God anymore. No one does anything good. No one even seeks after God. Why would the Father send His only Son there? And of course, if you if you were here last week, we know the answer is God loved the world. God loved the world. He loves His broken world. And He's on the move today. Redeeming. People with the gospel of his son Jesus. The good news. Today is a day of good news. Every day is a day of good news. Because of what Jesus has done. And God will finish what he started. He will finish what he started. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And until that day, God has made us messengers. And he has sent us to his world to love people, to serve people, to be a blessing, to give them this message that God loves them. He sent His only Son to die in their place. Because on the cross, all of our sin was cast on Jesus. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that we could receive mercy, so that we could receive His righteousness, so that God would look at us and say, You are my beloved child. I will never leave you or forsake you. God did that for us. He's done it for sinners everywhere. This message is not ours to keep. This treasure is not ours to hang on to or hide. 
We are vessels. Of, we are vessels. We are messengers. We are God's people. And God has made us his people to be in the world. To be a light wherever we go. So I want to make one, I want to make something clear before we wrap this up. I really hope that we grow as a church in every way. I hope that we grow our volunteers. I hope we grow our worship team. I hope our kids ministries grow and I hope we bring a, we're going to bring adult education environments back sometime soon. I hope we grow and all the, you know, that our programs get stronger and better and all of that great stuff that we enjoy as a church, you know? But what I want more and what I believe God wants more is for you and me to be out there telling people the one message that has the power to change everything about them. Because the gospel has power. The gospel message is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. But they have to hear it first. They have to hear it first. And we are his messengers. God is sending us to people everywhere. If you want your faith to grow, and I know you do. I know that most of you do at least. You want your faith to grow. Some of you might be wondering, why is my faith not growing? Probably a big reason, or could, maybe a big reason, is because you're silent about your faith. I mean, there could be a lot of reasons you're not growing in your faith. But let me ask you this question. Is it possible that the reason you're not growing in your faith is that you're not actively sharing your faith. The treasure that we have is meant to be invested into people who are far from God. And when Christians are silent about Jesus and cut themselves off from their neighbors and the rest of the world, they always stop growing. When all they're doing is filling their hearts and filling their minds with information, and they are not in the world... Being a light. Uh, it's just, that's just not the way in the life of a disciple. Throughout the Bible, we see a direct correlation between strong faith and active gospel witness. They always go together. We are not doing right when we are silent. Today is a day of good news, and we are all messengers. And the gospel is the power of God. The, the power that God uses to bring people who are far from him into his redeemed family. So let's not keep it to ourselves any longer. Last week, I, I'm going to put the one last slide up there. If we, I guess we, maybe we don't have it. <laughs> there it is. We've been talking about you plus two. And all we're asking, all we're challenging you with over the last couple of weeks and the coming weeks is that you would identify two people in your life, either who you know, who you have an ongoing relationship with, someone who you are pretty sure is not a follower of God, someone in your life who doesn't belong to a local church or they, they haven't trusted Jesus for forgiveness, and do one of three things. Invite them to the chili cook-off where they can see gospel community together. Number two, invite, invite them to the grand opening. Later this year or at the very beginning of next year, Lord willing. Or share your faith with them. Start a conversation with them with gospel intentionality. Listen to them. 
If they're going through a hard time and they're sharing that with you, ask them a simple question. Do you think God has anything to do with this? Have you thought about where God is in your situation? Do you have any kind of spiritual belief? Have you prayed about it? Can I pray for you? I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we, as followers of Jesus, can, in a relatively non-threatening manner, introduce God into the conversation. And the vast majority of people will be willing to tell you what they really think about God, about Jesus. Or maybe they're afraid to offend you. I don't know, but we have nothing to be afraid of. We really don't because God has told us in his word that we are his messengers. And wherever we go, when we tell people the good news about Jesus Christ, he is with us. He is with us. And he will never leave us or forsake us. Even if those people do. Even if they decide to walk away. That's okay. That's not on us. We're just messengers. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your gospel. We thank you that you've called us out of this world to be your disciples. And that you've left us here. To spread the news, the joyful news that you have done something about all the brokenness in this world. You've done something about sin. You've done something about the coming judgment. You've done something about the condemnation that rested on us. You sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins. To to stand in our place. To take the punishment that we deserve in his body. So that we can have peace with you. So that we would not have to fear anymore how you feel about us. Or be looking over our shoulder wondering when you're going to get back at us for all the things that we've done. We know God how you really feel towards us. Because of your son Jesus. Because of what you've done. By sending him. He he is the greatest gift we could ever receive. And I pray that today we would renew our faith. In Jesus Christ, who came because of your love. It was your love that brought Jesus into into your world to be our substitute. And we're so grateful today. And we pray that you would remove our fears and remove our inhibitions and remove our excuses. And that you would send us to the people that you're calling out of this world to be a light and to be a witness and to be your messengers. And that we would trust you for every word. And just be faithful. We thank you, God, that you are always with us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to receive the blessing, the benediction. And as Dave began, I was thinking last night, I, um, I have a cross on my wall. And it's, it's about... It's about two and a half, three feet by two feet wide. My father made it for me many years ago, and as I was looking at it, I was reminded of Hebrews twelve two, where it says, where it speaks of us fixing our eyes on Jesus. And as Dave was talking, I, I usually, when I think of that verse, I think of fixing my eyes simply on the cross. But what Dave reminded me of is the fact that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are fixing our eyes. On what he did. That he came. 
that he went to people, that he pursued people, that he loved people, and that he died and rose again and lives and sent his Holy Spirit for us. So I'd ask that you please rise for the benediction, for the blessing, and with that in mind, hear these two verses. Please receive the benediction. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, every burden in our lives that causes us to stumble, and every sin which clings so closely, those sins which we have not repented of, that we must rid ourselves of and ask Christ for help for. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, go forth today. Go and run the race that Christ has given you. Run it as you live. Run it as you pursue. Run it as you share and love people with the gospel of Jesus. And look to him, not simply as our God who died, but as our God who came, who loved, who gave, who died for our sins, and who rose and lives. Let us run with the Holy Spirit in us, and let us run with a faith so good that we must take it back to those who need to hear. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.